Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Scott Sashnick. And I'm Evan Noby Williams, and this is the Create Your Own IP Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Ugh. Awful. Dan, we sometimes rate Eben's openings like this is the way we do it. I, I would have said, we're working overtime on something. <laughs> and, and and he just goes, well, create your own sports site. That could be anything, anywhere. Rate it, Dan. What do you think? Dan Porter, CEO of Overtime. Rate Eben Novi Williams opening. It sounds like, Scott, you and me are like in my driveway. And we're about to invent like a new version of 21. And <laughs> just as we're about to crush it, your parents call. And it's dinner time and we can't keep playing. Oh, it's funny you actually you said it. Yes, that's exactly it. For Although I don't think kids today would get the reference because they don't go outside. They don't play. <laughs> they don't know the street light comes on and they don't know their parents screaming. It's dinner time. Come on inside. But if they would, I, I talked to Bob Boone years ago. And this will resonate because you've got you know, young athletes. Um, he said, of all these crazy parents who want their kids to go, whether it's major league, I happen to be in youth hockey at the crazy level. If you're telling your kid to go outside and practice, it is never going to happen. If you are telling your kid stop and come inside, that is step one to now. Let's look at all the other things. Do you have the skill? Do you have the drive? Do you have the smarts? Do you have the talent? Do you have all that? But I don't know why I just felt like a good time to say that. It's got, it, it, it's, it, it means nothing in this conversation, but I thought it was a good time to, to bring it up. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. Also, I grew up a Phillies fan, and when my son went to college, the person next to him was like sheepishly admitted that his dad had played in the Major League Baseball, and his grandfather had played in Major League Baseball, and it was Bob Boone's grandson. Oh, that's, that, oh, that's great, yeah. because... If, if you look at the lineage, I thought he was perfect for the column I wrote because obviously yeah. his father had played. His kids then went to the major leagues. It was the same yeah. thing. Like if you want to listen to how it's done, listen to this guy. He knows. It's not just tell your kid you need more private lessons. You got to play year round. Keep throwing. Keep practicing. It's got to come from the kid. Yeah. And at, at, even at Overtime Elite, which is our basketball league, it's like when you're talking to players about joining the league, I think in high school, there's a difference between people who like basketball or like the sport and just love it and are obsessed with it. And you, everyone wants to believe they're the person that they love it, but maybe it's just okay that they like it. Dan, this actually, Scott, it's funny you said that this doesn't apply. I think this does apply to overtime. One of the things you guys do and and, and have have talked about as one of your advantages is is being the, the, the new media company for new sports fans. And a lot of new sports fans are not playing sports, right? I imagine there is a through line there between the, the, the changing consumption habits for young sports fans and also the changing participation habits for young sports fans. Am I wrong about that? I think they're both true. I, I definitely think if you look at the core audience for what we do in football or what we do in basketball, it's like young people who are playing that sport. But there's no doubt that the the competition on your time, the, the availability to do other things, 
especially with your watching time, play video games, be on your phone and stuff like that uh, is huge. And, And I like to say about overtime, kind of like we all start at some point when we think we're going to be great in sports or we're going to be an astronaut or we're going to do something else like that. And that's the dream. And I think at, at the core, a lot of our fans have that. And then all of a sudden in ninth grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, you don't make varsity, you don't do whatever, you stop playing. And at that point, overtime almost has like a double meaning because now you sign up for someone else's journey. Now you're watching a man, Asar Thompson, when they're 17 or 18 years old, now they're going to the NBA. And so what stays consistent is you want to find people early and you want to follow them for that journey. It just changes between your own and other people's. By the way, Dan, are you going to reunions? <laughs> How do you know about that? It is my 35th reunion. If, hey, if you that. sit next to Novi Williams, and we've had far too many... Princeton folks on the show, Princeton alums. I mean, you know how they say this many Kentucky players have been drafted? I think Princeton is the number one school to have been on this podcast, including Novi Williams. So he's making my life difficult for travel, work later on. Oh, you know, upcoming. I've got reunions. I need to be back. First of all, I hate the S in reunions. I just want it to be. It's a reunion, whatever. But are you going is my first question. And second question, if I may hit part B, are you familiar? Did you take in at all any of the lightweight football while you were there? Wow, it's so funny. Like, I could, you know, I say lightweight football. I don't think they call that. They don't. They don't want the moniker. I, yeah. I agree with you. Novi Williams was on the team. Yeah, they did like not. 150 or 165. 170, pounds, 172 think. when I played. 172. Yeah. And I think you can only be a freshman, maybe, or something it like that. It was all they four call years. It yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. They, so they call it sprint football. That's the, the term I think they want yeah. to use instead of lightweight. Um, when I was there, uh, the team was in the middle of a 21 year losing streak. Didn't win a game for 21 years. And then uh, five or six years ago, they just axed the program entirely. So there is there is no more Princeton lightweight. Yeah, football. so I feel like I talk to people about it and they have no idea what I'm talking. About. I bring it up all the time, especially with the Princeton folks. Like, like I didn't under, it's lightweight football. It's not sprint football. I know six foot four, two hundred and twenty five pound dudes and women who can run really fast. I don't understand the sprint moniker. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't <laughs> understand. I don't understand the rebrand. It must have been done by a non Princeton. It, it would so. make a great uh, sports documentary, by the way. The the the, it, the it, lightweight it really sprint football world that we used to get blown out by by. Army and Navy every year, right? Because they have yep. everyone on their campus is 172 pounds and a freakish athlete. And that, that is not true. Of, Discipline, of, of strong, smart. Yeah. Why would they beat you guys? No, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't a, understand. Exactly. It's surprising. Dan, let me give you a macro level. I don't think people know. Macro level. How's business? Business is great, actually. I think that I like to say, you know, we wouldn't have 80 million followers and passionate fans if we didn't create something where there was an, a, a need or a, an existing void. Sports is cr- crazy hard, right? You don't, is nobody needs someone else to tell them about the NFL draft, right? Even the teams are good. I mean, for the NFL, I'm an Eagles fan. I just follow the Eagles. Like at, at some point, like there's so much media out there around sports. And I think our positioning was a little different. We really focus on community and brand and on telling some of the stories that weren't told. But I've, you know, said to our our salespeople, listen, like 80 million people wouldn't follow it if it wasn't, we didn't twist their arm to do that. They just felt there was something that wasn't there for them. And the simplest way I can explain it is like, I don't listen to music my parents listen to and my kids don't listen to music I listen to. And every generation wants to consume culture and media in their own way. Um, sports is part of that. Music is part of that. 
And we were in the right place at the right time with great execution to do that. And it continues to be the case. And then I think our one other advantage is it's really hard if you're an established uh, broadcaster, linear network, cable network, media entity, and your core audience is 40, 50 to, to talk to two audiences at the same time in both kind of visual and written language. And for us, we really have our core audience demographic of Gen Z and millennial. And so we don't we don't have to make any compromises or we're not kind of torn there at all. For the first few years over time was was focusing a lot on on highlights on social media. And then in, in the past two years, for listeners who don't know, launched into owning your own IP leagues of your own overtime elite basketball, OT seven, seven on seven flag football boxing is coming next. Walk us through the transit. Was this the plan all along that, you know, at some point we'll get a huge distribution and then we'll start our own leagues and, and capitalize on that distribution? How did you get from, from overtime 1.0 to overtime 2.0? Yeah, I, I wish I could say it was the plan. It was not the plan. I mean, the plan was literally sitting in the office of every major sports leagues and having them tell me like, we're really concerned about the next generation of fans. <laughs> They're either not engaged or they're not engaged the way that I might be engaged. You know, I buy a jersey, I pay for cable, I have a big screen TV. Um, and also, it, it's very different having fans versus having customers. I had a kid behind me at CVS and he's like, oh, Nixon 5 and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and he had a lot of opinions. And I turned to him, I said, oh, you're going to watch the game? He goes, oh, no, I never watched the game. Um, but he has an opinion. And so he participates in the culture of it, but but he's not actually a customer of anybody in, in that general culture. And so I think our thought was just like, let's use everything that we know. I had come from a digital background and I had run the, the digital department at Endeavor. And let's make storytelling in a digital format and get this new audience. And then we'll figure out the rest. Because wh why try to think about the rest if we actually fail at the first part? So we were successful, we got that audience, and we kind of looked around and said like, hey, NBA, NFL, all you guys, we solved the problem, we have that audience, let's do big business. And and they were like, well, no, you pay us. And I was like, no, you, you pay us. It was like that Spider-Man meme, and everybody's pointing at each other. And so I think we were just kind of like, well, we can either amplify other people's leagues and IP, or we can start our own. And the more we got involved in specifically in football and basketball, the more opportunities we saw. And we were like, it's kind of audacious, but none of us come from the sports business originally. So we don't realize how crazy it is. So let's do it. That's more and more what I hear, even from, let's say, the Sportico side. You know, we're building something here, and I hear a lot of the similarities of what you're saying. It's about IT generation, IP ownership. And you get you got to get customers, right? So why amplify somebody else if you can do it yourself? Yeah, and I think there's like there's weirdly a benefit to being somewhat naive and coming from different industries. I mean, we have people from all different types of businesses who work at overtime, but what we don't have is kind of sports executives uh, who will tell you this is why you can't do it or this is why you have to do it the way it's always been done. Um, and so we kind of did media and social platform distribution in a new and unique way. So that kind of gave us maybe some confidence that we could do so on the league. And in our leagues, it's not, you know, I, we talk about the leagues, we talk about intellectual property, it's the same thing. I talk about them as the product, 
What is the product? It's what happens on the court. It's what happens in the arena. It's what happens for the fans who are watching at home. And in that whole area, you're trying to, you, if you treat it as one thing, your single goal is like, how do I give the audience the best possible experience that they may have? And I think traditionally in sports, people are like, well, I got a field, I got two teams, let's play. But they're not necessarily thinking about the audience side and and everything from speeding up the game to getting the fans more engaged to everything else like that. So so much of business is is timing. And on the basketball side, it, it felt like you guys timed overtime elite perfectly with what was going on and changes in college sports and people looking for an alternative path to the NBA beyond just in the US, the, the NCAA model. I, I imagine that was not intentional, but it did feel like you guys kind of hit the market right at a moment where players, families, fans were all thinking about, oh, maybe there's another way for for an elite 17-year-old basketball player to be in the NBA in two years. And by the way, at a time when UGC had a place to go, user-generated content. I mean, people people definitely wanted to see that. Yeah, I, I would say, I don't know it's as much that we timed it, but I, I think if we had tried to do this five years ago, we would not have been successful. And so I tend to think about it as, you know, from 20, let's say 19, 20, 20, there's like this seismic shift, you know, the Red Sea parts, you have COVID, you have you know, empowerment, you have post-George Floyd racial reckoning, you have LaMelo Ball going to play in Australia. You literally have so many things happening in a short period of time that all of a sudden there's this opportunity for change. And and weirdly, I think you see that now with the rules that baseball did. Like the idea that baseball was going to make any changes ever was just kind of mind-blowing. And then there's so much pressure on linear television and cable home rate is below 50% and how many people are coming to the park and everything else like that, that I think as a business person, you rather than force your agenda on the world and the audience, you want to look for those moments when there's so much change that you can jump in and, and that kind of lays the groundwork for you. We're chatting with Dan Porter, the CEO of Overtime. Dan, what does CTO mean to you? You're, you're, let's say you've been wearing your business hat for a while. If I say CTO, what does that mean to you? Chief Technology Officer. And that's where I think all this, the, the established businesses are stuck there. Mr. Novi Williams, this guy over there from Princeton, lightweight football team, obviously taking a few collisions, had a really, really great idea. And I don't praise him often because he doesn't deserve it that often. But he had a really great idea. Evan, will you please explain what years ago you said the CTO should be and how some leagues are following in your lead? And overtime is right there as well. Yeah, I was going to say overtime is perfect for this. I, I have always felt like teams and leagues should have a chief teenager officer. And they should have a rotating executive position of some sort where they have a 15-year-old or 14-year-old or 16, whatever the year is. And for a year, they're able to pick that person's brain about what are you and your friends doing? What, what, what are the kids your age? How are they consuming? How are they, how are they looking things up? How are they watching games if they are or not? Um, and the NHL, I know, I think it's one of the reasons you're asking, Scott, just launched yep. its, its youth advisory board, essentially, where they're going to do something like this, where they're going to consistently have young teenagers that they are able to pick their brains, able to kind of look ahead. It seems to me like an opportunity because because you're right, Dan, as you said, every almost every conversation we have on this podcast even is younger 
fans are consuming things differently and we need to figure out a, a way to, to, to get it to them, not to get them to consume in the way that, that 35 year olds or 45 year olds are, are consuming. It I seems to me that there Wharton should be yet. more. It's not, yeah. the, the answer is not at Wharton. It's not, it's, it's <laughs> talk to my, what I call my 14 year, my soon to be 14 year old, the focus group of one. I just watch him and his pals and they're all the same. It's, and we'll get to TikTok. It's TikTok. It is Snapchat. It is Xbox. And same with you. Huge, huge athlete. Again, high, high level hockey player, plays baseball. I ask him to sit down and watch the game with me. Same as your kid in CVS. No, no, no. I don't want to watch the game. That's boring. Yeah. Rule, rules I, changes or not. I, I think it's a good, uh, I think it's a cool idea. I think that, well, a couple of things. One is it's a little formal in nature. Um, and also adults aren't all equally good at talking to young people and asking the right questions. Uh, I think for us, you know, when we started, I think we responded to about a 1 million direct messages and comments over the first two years. Um, I myself get probably 10 to 25 DMs on my overtime accounts on Instagram every single day. Uh, and so in, in our perspective, it's like kind of not only who our audience is, but we're surrounded by it at a high level. And, you know, it's funny, you you can run this account that has 7 million, 20 million people, and still every day some 15-year-old young person is going to DM you and they're just going to say, yo. And then you <laughs> might be like, yo, what's up with you? And they're like, oh my God, you responded. <laughs> and then you engage in this conversation. And I always joke like, you know, the guy running the ESPN account is not like, yo, what's up with you? And the kid's like, yo, tell Stephen A. I said, what's up, my guy? <laughs> and uh, so I, I think that for us, it's been a huge part of what we've done. And we've really tried to just also activate outside, show up at tournaments. I mean, the crazy thing about our seven-on-seven -seven football property is, you know, we'll play five different kind of, uh, we'll play four places all over the United States, and then we'll have a championship in LA. And at each, there's maybe 20 teams with 15 to 20 players. So you're talking about 1,000 to 1,500 kind of like high-level D1 commits. And you have the ability to talk to them about anything. What are you wearing? What are you, you know, like, what are you listening to? You learn all this stuff. Like, there's this whole culture of you take your lanyard from the place that you've been recruited and done an official campus visit and you tie it to the back of your backpack. So the swaggiest players are the ones who are showing up with like 50 lanyards tied to the back of their backpack, oh, Tennessee, Auburn, whatever. So you realize like the way that people kind of create culture and stuff like that. And being able to just observe those, I think sometimes is, and it's made me think like, oh, should we make a lanyard? Should we do any of these other things? Why are they putting that on their backpack? And all those things, which from an observational, almost like a social science perspective, I think you, you learn a, a, a ton for sure. Your co-founder, Zach, was, I think he was 24 when you guys formally launched. I, I imagine there was also a dynamic there of, of, of the two of you probably having slightly different consumer habits as well. I, I imagine having co-founders in the room that, that are of different, uh, probably different consumption levels and interests probably helps kind of think about the, the, the framework as well. A hundred percent. I mean, it was, first of all, it'd be a little goofy for me to launch a 
Gen Z media company when I was in my 50s. So it was awesome to have Zach and Zach's an amazing partner. And also he had run a sports property when he was at Penn and gotten people to write. And so he just had a totally different perspective down to like, oh, I think I have my parents' cable login, but if I don't have it, can I borrow yours so I can watch the game? Um, so it's been a nice balance. And then the staff that Zach and I found around us is a mixture of kind of more experienced people, but a lot of young creative people. And it's way easier to say to somebody, film this as if you are filming it for yourself rather than like, this is what young people like to watch. Yeah. Edmund, do you, are you seeing a lot of similarities between Overtime and Sportico? I mean, it's the same, I think, with the relationship like that I have with Eben. Like we, we're recording a podcast and I, I make a reference that I, anybody, I think, with even minimal intelligence would understand. <laughs> and Eben misses it. You know, and I, I'll give you a recent example. My 80s like, television if I say novel. to you, who is Vincent Price? Of course you know who Vincent Price is. Eben yeah. had no idea. He thought it was the price is right. Well, he, well but tr- true story, by the way, Dan. Yeah. Pre-Bob Barker, my mother was one of the price is right women. Oh, really? Yes, yes. So if you ever need it in a manner range, I can I can help you out with that. But yeah, I mean, the best thing about Price is Right and game shows is like, that's what you watch when you were sick and you were like home yeah. from school. Br- Brady Bunch, that's how you know Vincent Price and you're eating I, beans out of the flashlight. I've seen every Brady Bunch episode. Bewitched. Yeah. I Dream of Jeannie yeah. and Gilligan's Island. Yeah. That's when I was sick. That's what I would watch. And Evan yeah. has no idea. It's really, it's really, really bad. No, he was watching Rugrats, probably. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah. so, Speaking of Rugrats, help me peek around the corner, though, Dan. What do you see? Like, if you're looking around the corner, what do you see? And by the way, I love you. I loved your comment earlier about the the worst reason to do something is it's always been done that way. I have heard that like infinitum from David Stern and from Mike Bloomberg. Like I, re- I remember Mike coming into meetings and say, I don't care if we've always done it that way. It doesn't mean we have to do it that way. Let's try something else. If it doesn't work, fine. We'll move on. David Stern was an early overtime investor, right? Or the first. He was one of our investors. first investors. I got to work with him for two years. The Mishpucha. I got the retired, nice uh, David Stern. <laughs> and honestly, it was it was actually one of the most rewarding professional experiences I had. Like. He, first of all, working with him was amazing. And second of all, his ability to kind of use humor to kind of maneuver. He used to say to me, Dan, I know you're good at at raising money, but just to be honest, are you actually good at anything else? <laughs> and I'd say, oh, no, commissioner. But still, I have. <laughs> I had a front row seat to David insulting people for years. And I would say maybe 7% of the time, those people knew they were being insulted. That's yeah. how good he was. No, he was an amazing. He was an amazing guy. I, I definitely I miss him, and I'm sad that he couldn't see what we built. Because at first he was like, "You want to start a basketball league?" I've experienced there, no way. And by the end, he just, you know, he, he was an avid reader and consumer of information. He was looking at all the different paths that young people were taking, and he was like, "You should do this." We and do that, have similarities. Yeah, one of the first people I brought the idea for sport to go to was David, and he said at the time, "How old's your son?" And I, and I told him, and he's like, let's say this thing flops in a year. Is your son okay? I said, yeah, no, he'll be fine. He goes, great, let's go. Let's get to work. <laughs> Same, and that was David. Like, that was classic yeah. David. But David would look around, just, he looks around. What's next? What's coming? What don't I know? Bring in somebody, tell me what I don't know. So I'm curious, for, from this point on, we know where you are. Where yeah. are you going? What are we looking around the corner? What do we see? Yeah, so I'd say a couple things. Um I think it's eminently interesting to me, again, like how many people will watch Drive to Survive, 
but may not watch races that are different times and other stuff like that. And so I, it's a little cliche to say kind of narrative storytelling around the sport. But I, I think that the idea that it's supposed to then drive you to watch the same way that if you made a post on social, it was supposed to drive you to read some article, but all that happened was that people ever just consumed it on social. I think that you have to understand that outside of the live game, there is a vibrant ecosystem of storytelling. And instead of just driving everyone to watch, you just have to understand like, here's my funnel. I've got, you know, people who are super active at the bottom of the funnel. I've got lightweight people. How do I turn them into customers and so forth? Um, I think that number two, uh, I've been told by a number of people who work on these types of projects that stadiums are being built smaller and smaller, especially football stadiums. And people love football, but the digital experience of football is amazing. And the price is through the roof to go to a Knicks or a Nets game, which I'm in New York, and, and not everybody can participate in that. And so just understanding this balance, I think, between the live product and the film product. And then, listen, we we started in this country the live product because that was the business model. And now we're all playing for television. And so, you know, you're opening a new city. But one of the things that we've been successful at doing is our teams aren't located with any city. They're just teams, meaning anyone can be a fan of them. Um, so this idea, I think, of broadcasting for the Internet. And then, obviously... The idea of, you know, what's happening with the Phoenix Suns. A third of our games are on Amazon Prime Video, amazing partner for us. Two-thirds of the games you can watch for free on YouTube. Where is that line between audience development and monetization? Because you have to invest in that audience for the future. And I had the opportunity to go to uh, see a Man Manchester City City Football Club game. And even Pep Guardiola, like one of the most famous coaches of all times, told me a couple of years ago, he's like, listen, if we don't stay on top of it, all these kids who are playing Call of Duty, like they're not going to become Man City fans and it's going to be empty. And you go to a game, which is like the premium of the premium experience. And you think, how could this be possible? And yet at the same time, I mean, none of us are wearing a suit to work. You know, I'm not even at work. I'm at home. Like, but I'm at work. Like so many things that we assume can never change, change. Um, and I think that will be true in sports. Well, I as thought well. there was a major sea change when years ago, when uh, the NFL did the deal with um, help me out, Evan, the uh, the video game Fortnite. The, Fortnite, right? And I took a step back, and for the first time that I could remember, I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I think the NFL in this relationship is the needy party. The NFL needed Fortnite more than Fortnite needed the NFL because. My son was going to be at Fortnite listening to Marshmallow concerts. He is not hanging out on front of the TV 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock on Sunday. So things were changing. And clearly we've seen that the leagues, um, some of them have responded accordingly. Yeah, you have to be able to get in front of the audience that you don't have, but as opposed to assume that they're, they're coming to you. It's like, it's better to build a Wawa right next to the Princeton campus than it is to a no no Hoagie Haven. What was your what was your go to? Give me. I, I, by the way, I didn't go to Princeton, but you, I lived in Lawrenceville. I, I lived in Lawrenceville. I I did go to Winberries, and when I was there is when <laughs> Triumph opened. So that was a very big deal. 
the owner of Hoagie Haven got an honorary degree when as, I graduated. As well he or she deserves, yeah. I can tell you that. I, I, never went ran it. Ho- I went for the omelet Hoagie myself. So. Okay, that sounds good. I, I know John Popper was there quite a bit, right? John Popper liked he, to hang John out the Hoagie Popper Haven. John Popper was my opening band when I played in college. So I used Amazing. to say, people say, oh, you played music? I said, yeah, Blues Traveler opened for me. <laughs> I, Jan, I know, I know Jeff Bezos is an investor. Did you, you guys overlapped at Princeton. Did you know him at all on campus? Oh, we chugged beers like constantly, <laughs> dude, Olympics, everything. No, I definitely did not know him, but I did, I was introduced to him through actually a Princeton network. So I got my money's worth. The value of reunions, S being dollar sign. There you yeah. go. Before we let you go, I, I don't think people are going to be surprised to hear that Overtime has one of, if not the biggest sports accounts on TikTok. A lot of, obviously, conversations at the government level about TikTok's future. I'm curious how you guys think about what is obviously a, a, a big part of your business right now and how much you're following what's happening at the government level, how much that that would affect you if, if something did change. For sure. I, I think there's a couple ways to think about it. One way to think about it is that the impact of TikTok is larger than TikTok. It took me like three weeks to realize that I was on the For You feed of Twitter and that actually I was no longer seeing tweets from people I followed because that was actually in another tab. And I was like, oh, shit, it kind of looks like TikTok. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, why am I seeing all these people on my Instagram account who I don't follow? So I think in general, that kind of For You page discoverability via TikTok has already changed social platforms and social media significantly. Um, So I think whether it it stays or goes, I I think the second thing is it's clear that um, people in government like to bully people and pick on causes of problems that are not the cause of problems. Um, I don't think TikTok, I don't think you know, people with gender fluidity who want to play sports, of which there are not 17 million of them, are really the most pressing issues that impact me every day when I wake up, but they're the ones that get the press. Um, so, I, and then, so it, it's a little bit of a political football, but I would say number three is like, whatever happens, it's just going to impact everyone. Us, ESPN, the NFL, like we all learn how to make different content and put it in different places. And I'll say there are things about, I can make a content of the three of us talking about something and a clip on that on TikTok will always outperform a clip of that on Twitter or Instagram, just because behavioral patterns, like if you start to see people talk on Instagram, you swipe away, but on TikTok, you get sucked in in a different way. And so I think there's all kinds of content formats that, um, you know, would be impacted, but I'll go on a ledge and say that I think it's not going to go away. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Although my I think my proudest moment thus far in the short lifespan of Sportico was my son sent me a text message with a picture of a kid in his class saying, "Hey, Dad, some kid near me is using Sportico for a NFL research project." I, I so if we ever get that on TikTok, which by the way we will be experimenting with TikTok very soon. So make I heard sure. you're an amazing dancer, Scott. So I think you guys are going to crush it. You're not. Yeah. You do not have good sources. You'd never make it as a journalist. Although. <laughs> If I have decided after this conversation, I have an idea, another, I'm busy enough as it is, uh, hockey dad and, uh, you know, editor in chief of this thing make, you know, doesn't leave for a lot of free time, but I've got an idea and I want to know if you want to be an angel investor. I am going on the road selling counterfeit backpack lanyards at your events. 
Mm. So it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I had an official visit at Auburn. Yeah, Auburn, Alabama, Penn State, Michigan, App- UCLA. Absolutely. Yeah. Aside from the trademark violation and other things like that. <laughs> Don't worry about little things. Like, <laughs> what do I one know? Of, one of my buddies, an IP lawyer at the NBA, I've seen him run around parking lots with his backpack trying to confiscate. Forget it. We're good. He can't catch yeah. us. <laughs> All right. Dan Porter, CEO of Overtime. Thank you very much. Really appreciate the chat. Thanks for having me, guys. Evan, I got to say, loved the conversation with Dan. I do see similarities in it from what we're doing and what they're doing at Overtime. Uh, I, I like that. I hear a lot of themes from what I've heard from business leaders in my past, those who are doing, those who are creating, those who have done. Um, so a, a lot to a lot to learn, a lot to unpack, and I'm excited to see where they go and if it's successful. I, I, I love the bit in there where he's talking about how the, the pivot essentially from 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 overtime as it was originally formed into into this uh, create yeah, your own IP, your own leagues, um, and, and this idea that you know having conversations with leagues where the leagues want overtime to pay because overtime at the you time was us. a media company, and he's like, no, 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 we are doing something instrumental with your content. You should be paying us to do this on your behalf and and seen through that lens you definitely understand why the overtime elite league why having their own leagues in addition to their huge distribution platform ends up being the probably the long-term better business model as well i could have told you that the established leagues would have said you pay us not the other way we'll figure it out on the other way but we are not paying you to utilize our ip even though you're distributing it to a group of people that we'd like exactly not going to happen all right, I've been Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network. 